Thanks for joining us today at North Coast Church, and we want to extend a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Thank you for everything that you continue to do for us. Pastor Chris Brown will be continuing in our series on John as we are in chapter 8. Can't wait for his teaching. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to go to our website, northcoastchurch.com, so you can download our message notes, you can give online, or you can put in a prayer request. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. North Coast Online, thank you for joining us on this weekend. Man, we love you guys. Okay, but right now, let's talk about the elephant on the elephant in the room, because you may be trying to figure out, can I come a little closer? Can you see that? Yeah, and it goes all the way down to my nose. I'm fine, I'm okay, no stitches. I was doing a little presentation on a rooftop a couple nights ago and the wind picked up and our whole chart board that we were using went to fly away and I grabbed it with one hand and it flipped over and tomahawked me right in the forehead and I finished my presentation with blood dripping down my nose. That's all you need to know, now we can move on. Yes, there's a scar on his face. No, he's not gonna do anything about it and no, I'm not gonna do makeup like these guys said we could probably cover it up because I said, let's just people know I'm an idiot. It's not gonna shock them at all. Second thing, can I point out this for our incredible little group meeting there in Prescott, Arizona. Thanks so much for the shirt. Yes, I will wear it proudly. By the way, you, if you have a group of more than, let's say, three couples meeting in your house, in your room, in your community center somewhere, send me a shirt with whatever you guys are about, and I'll wear it. Ooh, I can't believe I just mentioned that. Can we qualify that in any way? <laughs> Make sure it's a wholesome shirt, and I'll try to wear it. We love what's happening out there with all of you online, not just those of you that are clicking and watching us. You have your own church. You have your own Bible studies. We love that maybe we're giving you some supplemental Bible studies. But for those of you that are truly North Coast Church and saying, you know what? We're in a community. We're in a life group. We're meeting. We're doing this study together. Um, absolutely love what you're doing. What blew me away is two weeks ago, we just did our Serve Your City campaign. So many of you took part in it from whatever city you're watching, wherever you are, with whatever groups you had. That was amazing to me. But above and beyond that, about $80,000 to pull off Serve Your City came in from our online audience. I mean, when your pastor Trent told me that, I was blown away. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, 79,000 and some change dollars came in just from those that are watching in our online community. He goes, Chris, they're invested in North Coast. They're really a part of us, and that's exactly why we do this just for you. This presentation in the studio, just talking to you right there in your home, in your living room, sitting at your kitchen table with your friends, in your dorm, in your military base, wherever you are gathered, instead of just showing you our weekend service from the back. So uh, I know there's been some uh, questions about that. Those of you that come to North Coast as a campus and you're here in North County, you want the live service. Those of you that go, man, we're part of North Coast Church, but when we watch online, it's not the same. Let me tell you, it's not supposed to be the same. This is no longer an online service for those of you that missed the weekend at North Coast. This is an online church brought specifically to you, talking just to you because you're a community and those that are outside of North County have voted almost unanimously. You love what is happening with this online service and doing it. East Cape Christian Fellowship down there in Mexico coming in July. Most of you will be gone. It's gonna be way too hot for you, but I'm gonna fish. Let me tell you a couple things that happened. I'm just gonna brag about all of you for a moment because that, that's what I do anyway in my normal everyday life. Two weekends ago, we pulled off Serve Your City in, in a massive success. Last weekend, you saw the incredible video that our video team put together on it. Can I just now bring you some statistics? Here's what happened two weekends ago that I'm still celebrating, so I'm gonna celebrate with all of you. 
As far as the total amount of volunteers, well, and, and again, if you're just joining us, um, uh, about every year and a half, we don't come to church. We stop all of our services. We go out and really become the church. Um, it's not just once every year and a half we all do community service. We do it daily. We do it continuously. It's every year and a half we celebrate it together. But we are averaging four service projects a day around North Coney. Four a day around North County, not Coney. Um, and then uh, every year and a half we get together and we pull it off together. So here's what happened two weekends ago. Total volunteers, 9,138 of you participated. Volunteers under the age of 12, 1,505. I love that I showed up to so many projects and I saw these little gremlins running around with paintbrushes or with gloves on and they were weeding stuff or they were shoveling stuff. I love that even our youngest North Coasters are getting into what does it mean to truly be the church, not just come to church. My wife and I drove around to about 17 different sites. We just hopped in the truck and we went from site to site to site to site. Just high five after high five after high five. Absolutely love that Saturday and Sunday. With that then, North Coasters poured in 39,072 hours of volunteer work. 39,000 hours of labor was given two weekends ago. That's about four and a half years in hours. Projects, we had over 49 sites, a couple hundred projects. The estimated project value of work that we did was $4.361 million. $4,361,000 of billable work you guys completed in just one weekend. Mulch, so many of you were shoveling mulch, doing mulch, spreading mulch. We had 702 yards of mulch. That's 70 truckloads of mulch was dumped and delivered at our sites. 494 gallons of paint, 424 tons of gravel. Gravel was spread out. You say, Chris, how much is 424 tons? 848,000 pounds. 848,000 pounds of gravel. You guys did in wheelbarrows and shovels. That's why some of you are still hurting two weeks later. DG, 133 and a half yards of DG was spread. 13 truckloads. You know those big 40-foot green dumpsters that you can put all of your debris and waste in? You did so much cleanup two weekends ago that you put away 1,168 cubic yards of green waste. In other words, 29 40-foot dumpsters were utilized and filled two weekends ago. You built 55 beds, you sewed 148 dresses, you built 20 picnic tables and delivered them. You um, put together 200 comfort club, comfort cubs were assembled. Those are those weighted stuffed animals that we give to families with kids that have gone through a tragic experience. And above and beyond, you guys gave, so we delivered $120,000 in checks. You saw some of that last weekend. If you go to northcoastchurch.com, there's a button right now that just says extended video. You can watch the reaction of owners, managers, supervisors when uh, Connor, uh, in charge of our, our local and global missions, was able to walk up and say, not only are we working on your property today, but here's a check for 10,000, here's a check for 5,000, here's a check for 15,000. And you, because of your incredible giving, not just gave us the 220, $230,000 that we needed for the resources, you allowed us to come alongside and leave some checks behind to say, keep doing the incredible work in our communities that you're doing. We had drives going on last weekend, like a food drive that collected 17,337 pounds of food. 
Some of you put together 660 senior citizen kits. Others of you, like our young adult ministry, the Jordan utilized the edge venue since we didn't have services on the weekend, and you put together 14,529 toiletry kits for the San Diego Rescue Mission and other charities and organizations for the families most desperate in need or homeless. You put together 171 laundry kits. You wrote personal cards to 500 teachers in our local school district. And our blood drive brought in 115 units, saving approximately 300 lives. It wasn't just what was happening here. It was happening in Hillsborough. It was happening in Ukraine, in Ecuador, in Mexico, in Turkey, and in Czech as well. That was two weekends ago. North Coast, a pride is a sin. I'm full of it. <laughs> there is a pride that makes it about you and what you've done that's a sin, but there is a pride in what the God's people are doing, what the hand of God is doing through his church. And I am so proud of you. All those that gave, all those that worked, all those that collected something, that donated something, that put together something, all in all, the impact you had on your communities globally was absolutely phenomenal. And you know what happened in the midst of that? We missed an important birthday. We missed a one month old. Our little Temecula Murrieta campus turned one month old in the midst of all the craziness that was going on. And we thought it'd be fun on their little first month birthday to give the rest of you an update on what's happening in Temecula and Murrieta. Just a one month old campus, but if you happen to go there on the weekend, it looks a lot like this. Wasn't that incredible? My goodness, I've already been out there once. I've sat through the services. I am so amazed of what Temecula Murrieta is doing in the little school facility that they have right now. And for a one month old, my goodness, haven't you already grown up with 450 people attending regularly on a weekend? It is an amazing campus. What an amazing start. And, and once again, that is all because of your resources, your giving, that is all because of what you are doing. Man, I hope that you know, even though you're an online church, there's many great reasons to be church online. You are still very much a part of everything North Coast is doing. I hope whether you're involved or not, you knew that your fingerprints were on Serve Your City. I hope that whether you think you were involved or not in Temecula Marietta, just your giving, your resourcing, your presence makes your fingerprints all over what is happening on that campus. You hear about what's going on in, in Czech, you hear about what's going on in the Ukraine, about what's going down in Mexico. If you're part of this church, your fingerprints are on that. We're all stakeholders in what God is doing. And that's what I'm so proud of, to see what the people are doing in the name of the Lord. And that's what all this is about. Basically, you're showing people who Jesus is. Basically, you're showing people what Christianity is supposed to be about. We call that in kind of church language about being a light. And it's because it comes from this passage we're about to talk today. Whether it was serve your city, what's a Temecula campus, that's how you and I go to work, how we treat our employers or employees. We talk about being a light. What does that really mean? Today, we simply look at this profound truth about light. And we're gonna start pretty elementary, but I think it's gonna blow your mind of what Jesus teaches about himself. We've had a couple interruptions lately. I'm not just talking about serve your city. I'm talking about in our text. Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem. He's part of the Feast of Tabernacles. He's part of what we got into three weeks ago. He's been teaching daily in the seven-week-long celebration in the headquarters in Jerusalem, in the capital city, in the temple itself. He's been teaching about himself. He's been teaching that he's the bread of life. He's been teaching that he's the living water. He's been teaching that he is the truth. And then he got interrupted in the last two weeks. We looked at that interruption. They brought a woman caught in adultery, but they were trying to trick him. They didn't care about the woman. 
They just want to give him an impossible situation so one way or another they can find fault in Jesus. And yet we saw the brilliance of his grace and mercy and love. And not watering down the truth, not dismissing what she did was sin, but leveling the ground that we've all sinned. So we better be careful how we handle that, handle our sins first. And then let's learn how to handle each other's and how to care for them and turn them, not be about burning them. And we saw this incredible interruption. And today he goes back to teaching. And, and, and I don't know about you. Sometimes I read through the Bible and things hit me for the first time, even though I've, I've been in that passage forever. Today is one of those. Go with me, go ahead, open your Bible, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, get out something to write with, circle, underline with, get out something to highlight with, pause it right now. If you don't have some writing utensils, you're not coming to hear the word of God, you're coming to study the word of God. Any study you've ever done in your life, you were showing up with a pad and a pencil, something to write with. We have notes online on our apps, or bring your own notes, print them out and have them, or just make your own notes on a piece of paper. We're gonna study the word of God today, as if it was... Uh, the word of God and creation gets to hear from creator today. So wherever you've stopped, wherever you paused or wherever you're walking, wherever you're driving, wherever you're listening to this or watching it, let's take this in. John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, you see this is a continuation still that week, that celebration. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. And I, I find this interesting. Circle, highlight, underline. I am the light of the world. As soon as the interruption is over, as soon as he frees this woman from guilt and shame and a life of sin, he goes right back to teaching. And what are his very first words? I am the light of the world. He makes it about him. Have you ever noticed specifically, and especially through the book of John, every time Jesus starts to teach, his favorite topic is himself. Jesus teaches on Jesus more than any other topic. It's as if he thinks he's the most important thing to know. It's as if he thinks really the only thing you walk away from Jesus with is Jesus. It's as if he thinks understanding him is life or death. Understanding him is pretty much all there is in life. Otherwise, we take our sinful death and our sin with us to an eternal death. It's as if Jesus, every time he holds a crowd, understands the only thing you really need to know is me. He teaches on Jesus more than anything else. We've hit it already in eight chapters. He wants to tell people, I'm living water. Man, you have me. You're never gonna thirst again. I'm what quenches what you're looking for. He tells the crowd, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you have to consume. I am what gives you sustenance. I am what helps grow you. I am what strengthens you. Without me, you die. He tells people he is the truth. Any other thing is false. He's the only way. Now he's telling people he was living water and he quenches thirst. And now he goes to, now I'm the light of the world. He constantly comes back to himself. I grew up with some vague understanding that most people saw the Bible as, well, I don't know if Jesus is really a son of God. He doesn't have to be like God, Lord of your life. Jesus was a great man that went around telling people how to be nice, how to be good, and to stop judging. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much sums up Jesus. He did miracles. He taught a lot of people how to be good and how not to judge. But I realized if you hold that opinion, you've never read the book. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have pages and pages on how to be nice. In fact, when you look at Jesus, he ain't that nice. 
When you look at Jesus, he's always stirring up trouble. When you look at Jesus, he's always causing problems. Why? He won't let it go. He won't let the topic of himself go. He really believes he's the only answer to life and death. We started this whole series talking about the Rubik's Cube and talking about Jesus. He starts from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and came to earth. Jesus is God. We try to make him a good teacher. We try to make him maybe a philosopher. We try to make him maybe a miracle worker or maybe a prophet, maybe a wise man. But it all falls apart if he's not God, because every page we're hitting so far, he keeps coming back to, I am God, I am God, I am God, I am God which really poses the question for you and I. We've been now eight chapters, 30-some weeks. I haven't even counted how many weeks. We've been now eight chapters. How many weeks are we? Look at it in yours. You got it on the top. I don't know, and I don't have them. No, they're trying to film. They're trying to record audio. Every time I ask them a question, they look at me and like, that's not our job. It's your job. I don't know my job. We've been three, four months now into this. Is he? Is he? And if he is, what has happened in the last four months of your life? If we've truly taken these last four months, January, February, March, April, we're now into May, and we've really gone verse by verse, page to page, understanding he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. How much has that changed us? Is it simply head knowledge? Or are we walking under a little different lordship? Are we walking, understanding there's a little different ownership going on in our life? Are we walking a little different knowing, my goodness, this is who my God is and what he came and what he did for me. Oh, he was a great teacher. Oh, he's a great example. He's a great philosopher. He was a great role model. But let me tell you, he was God. And if you try to change him being God to any other thing, then he's not anything else. It's his favorite topic. I am. I am. And if he's anything else, then he's not God. And we've got to come back to, this is who he is. Because if he's not God, and if he doesn't have to be Lord of every day of our life, then he can't be a good teacher, he can't be a great philosopher, he can't be a great example, he can't be a wise man, he's a lunatic. No, he's brilliant. No, he's a brilliant con man. He's a brilliant con man that for 2,000 years laid down such a sophisticated plan to dupe so much of the world's population into thinking he was God. He was a brilliant, devious, sinister con man. Where he's God. And as soon as the interruption's clear, Jesus comes back to the temple and starts his favorite topic. Guys, listen to me about me. Brilliant. What, what have I hit you with already? Being the truth, being the creator, being living water, being bread. Now understand, 2,000 years ago, first century culture, oh, how much this was huge. How much the philosophers were trying to figure out what truth was about. How much your daily life had to revolve around water because you just couldn't turn on a faucet and get it. How much bread, your daily need, your daily sustenance, where were we going to eat was such a pivotal part of your life. And now he turns to another one. Oh, light. See, we don't really worry about bread. We don't really worry about water. We don't really worry about light. I mean, I have it everywhere. I have a light on my watch. I have a light on my phone, but I'm very rarely in a place where it's dark. There's lights everywhere nowadays. But in the first century, oh, the necessity and the importance of light, especially when things got dark. 
And Jesus goes, let me tell you, I am the very central focus of your life. I am the light of the world. <laughs> Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now talking to a crowd that had to walk in darkness so often, this is just, this is a revelation to them. Wait, 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 we never have to walk in darkness again? We can always know our surroundings. We can always know where we're at and where we're going. We never have to be fearful of what may be around us or what's coming. We never have to worry about where we're stepping or where we're going. We can, we can walk in perpetual light. And the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. You see, the religious leaders are tired of Jesus talking about Jesus. Oh, once again, you're going to tell us about you. You know what? Your testimony isn't valid. Because remember in that day and age, you needed two witnesses to verify any truth. Two witnesses to provide any fact. You can't stand here and talk on Jesus. Jesus can't talk on Jesus. You got to have two witnesses to back all this up. Why do you make every single speech about yourself? Because Jesus knows in your life and in my life how important it is that we understand who he is in our daily life. So Jesus answered them. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I've come from and where I'm going. So they interrupt him. Your testimony is not valid. You need to have two witnesses. And Jesus goes, look, even if I want to testify about me, it actually is valid. I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. I'm God. <laughs> I'm God. That's a valid testimony. But, but I'll play your game. But you have no idea where I've come from. You have no idea where I'm going. You haven't yet realized I'm God. So you judge by human standards, but I pass judgment on no one. And if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses make a truth. I am one who testifies for myself and the other witness is the father who sent me. Jesus goes, I'll play your game. But you know why I don't need any validation? because I know I've come from heaven and I know I'm going, I'm God. So what I say is true. But I know your law says I have to have two witnesses. So I'm gonna speak about myself and the other one is my father who sent me. Are you gonna have better authorities than the son of God and the father? But then they asked him, so where's your father? I bet they've been waiting to play this card. I bet they've known. There's a scandal in this guy's past. There's a little thing about a mysterious virgin birth. You have any of those in your family? Mm. We've got a couple of mysterious births in our family. I was a very mysterious birth that caused a marriage to happen a long time ago in our family, but no one's ever claimed the virgin birth. But you got a story in your family, don't you? Was it a Roman soldier? Was it someone that took advantage of your mom and your family tried to cover it up? Was it Joseph? We don't think it was Joseph because when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, he wanted to take off on her. I think they would have rushed a wedding, not tried to postpone it. See, there's a real mystery about who your father is. So we're kind of glad you brought up the father card. You've got a past, don't you? Who's your father? And I love Jesus. We're going to do this passage first, then get to the fill in the blanks, because this story is just riveting to me. So Jesus responds in verse 19, you do not know me or my father. You guys don't have a clue what you're talking about. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is another one of the most audacious claims in all of history. It's Jesus going, if you knew who I was, you would know who God is. 
How can you say that? Unless you're God. He really, truly believes that knowing Jesus is knowing God. If you knew me, you would know my father. I cannot be a good teacher. I cannot be a philosopher. I cannot be a wise man. I can't be a good example. I'm God. And if you know Jesus, you know God. And he's not letting that go. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. So this is in the center of the temple. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You've got these little glimpses of they're always trying to kill him and get at him, but something keeps them from making their move. God's got his hand on his son going, you can't take him yet. I know how he's going down. I know there's gonna be a cross for you. I know you think you're behind it, but you can't touch him yet. Even though in the very center of the court, in front of the holies of holies, in the temple of women, Jesus is claiming, if you know me, you know God. But you can't do anything to him because the father is there as a witness saying, I got my boys back. (laughs) Listen to his truth. So once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now get this. Jesus knows they're dismissing him and so he's saying this. Guys, I'm gonna go away to a place where you can look but you can't find me and you are gonna die in your sins and because of that, you won't be able to go to where I'm going. This is Jesus pleading with them. This is your only shot at salvation. This is your one shot at forgiveness. Seeing who Jesus truly is, accepting that, allowing that light to illuminate who you are and everything around you. He goes, this is your shot of knowing God. And if you dismiss me, you're gonna have your sin. You can't do anything about your sin. You can live perfect from this day forward, but you still have sin from your past in this life. You have sin and you're gonna die with sin. And guess what? Sin can't go to heaven. Sin can't be where Christ is. Sin can't be in the presence of God. So guess what? You won't get there. Man, these are harsh words of Jesus, but they're said in such love. They're said in such simple terms to allow them to know, look, you're supposed to be invited in. It's you yourself that's being inviting yourself out. This is an open invitation to all. And this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? I mean, they are so spiritually blinded right now with their disbelief. So so what's he, he's disappearing, he's gone. Is he about to kill himself? And Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. He goes, guys, listen to me. You're earthly. I'm heavenly. You have sin. I don't. (laughs) I'm not of this world. I told you that if you don't believe me, you're going to die in your sins. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So in verse 25, they say, who are you? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Jesus replied, oh, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I've heard from him, I now tell the world. Guys, I am exactly who I've claimed to be. I am God on earth. I'm the very son of God. I am the truth. I am your living water. I am your bread. I am the light. This is who I am. I am your only way. You must be born again. 
No matter how right you think you are, how wrong you think you are, everyone on the scale still has sin. Everyone still has something to be forgiven to be able to get to heaven. And he goes, that is what you have to come to me for. I'm the one that's gonna bring forgiveness. Well, they don't understand it, just like maybe we don't understand quite what he's getting on how that happens. So he wraps the whole thing up. Verse 27, see, they didn't understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. I speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone and I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their trust in him. As some were just keeping him at a distance, as some were in disbelief, as some that couldn't believe he would speak this stuff about their life, there were still others in the crowd that said, I get it. Have you, have you ever heard the words of Jesus and there was something that was just stirring in you and you felt as if, uh, uh, you felt as if creation was actually hearing from creator that something was telling you, this is what you need to do. This is real. This is truth. This is for you. And as many wanted to pose Jesus that day, there were many in the crowd that were listening going, you're it. I get it. And Jesus goes, you know when you're gonna get this? When you see the son of man lifted up, you're gonna understand what this is all about. Now, that's not a new phrase to us in chapter eight. That came all the way back in chapter, what was it, three, four, when Nicodemus came to Jesus. What do I have to do to be saved? And he goes, look, you gotta be born again. Just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness to get the poison out of your life, so much the son of man be lifted up on a cross to get the sin out of your life. It's a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Jesus goes, when you see me on that cross and three days later when I pull off Easter, you're gonna know what I'm about and you're gonna know what I did for you. Oh, it's brilliant. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna finish the rest of this next week. We got enough to go on right now. You got fill in the blanks. I told you, hold your horses. We're coming to it. Here's what I know. I want you to take a little beginner's guide into what the light is. These are very elementary sayings, but just listen to how profound they are when we understand how Jesus was using them. The light brings clarity to everything around it, doesn't it? Isn't that what the light does? Now, I had a light brings clarity to everything. See, a light brings clarity to everything around it. But I realize, yeah, that's what we know about light. Why do you turn a light in the room? Because it's dark. So why do you turn a light? Because I want to see, I want to bring clarity. I want to have perception about what's in the room, where's stuff at. You're out at night somewhere and it gets dark. What do you want to do? You want to get a light. Why? Because you want to bring clarity. Where am I stepping? Where are we going? What's happening? Uh, my family and I were down in Mexico on one of these trips and we were told about this big cenote, these underground caverns that you can actually go snorkeling through. And I said, guys, let's do it. We put on helmets, we get our snorkel gear and we're doing underground snorkeling. It is amazing. They got lights down underneath this crystal clear cold water. It's like 105 degrees up on top, but down there, man, it is chilly. You got a little bit of maybe a wetsuit on or maybe you just have a shirt over you and we're snorkeling and it's light and we're just going through these caverns. We're led by a guide, it's amazing. There's these, there's these little tiny catfish that are just solid white and they're blind. No use to have eyes if you live in darkness. There's no need for eyes. Everything is down by vibrations and everything is done by feel and by touch down there. 
and we get down in this inner cave, this cistern, and we're out there and it's deep and there's these big dark holes that are still yet below us and we're all snorkeling and he gets us all in the middle and then they turn off the lights. And when they turn off the lights, I feel my family, again, teenagers, who at this point, they realize dad is not cool at all. Grown teenagers come close to dad. One of them squeezing my arm really tightly until I hear the voice of that teenager. And I realize that's my wife. But they're all having the same thoughts I'm having. It's one thing, we've been in a cave before and things got dark. But when you're floating in water with caves underneath and things go pitch black, like black, black, like you can't see anything anywhere, you wonder what's swimming up. You wonder what's coming out of those things. I had, I had my phone and it's waterproof and I've been videoing and so I just turned the little light on my phone on to shine straight down. And just that little light, everybody around is like, oh. and the guy's like, it's all right, use your light, look around and then turn it off again. Look around, we're okay, we're okay, turn it off. Wow, I tell you, I don't want to live in a world where there's no light. Dude, the fear, the apprehension, the unknown that happens when you're dark. Now remember, he's talking to a first century crowd. He's talking to a crowd that doesn't have a light on their phone. Their phones didn't have lights back then. He's talking to a crowd that doesn't have street lights. He's talking to a crowd where vehicles don't have lights. He's talking to a crowd where, man, you got something burning or a candle, that's the best you got. But they're in short supply. He's talking to a crowd giving a very, very basic illustration. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm a light. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And I'm the light that gives you life. One, solitary, only the light that brings clarity to everything around it. This is what Jesus does. Psalm 119, I put it in your notes, simply says this, that God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I used to think that was redundant until I lived in the mountains and worked at a camp for a while. Man, when you're hiking the mountains at night, you wanna have a light to your feet and you also wanna have a light to your path. You, you see what God does, he lights up what I'm currently stumbling with. He lights up what I'm currently tripping over. He illuminates and gives perception to Chris. Here's what's going on in your marriage. Here's what's going on with you and one of your kids. Here's what's going on at work. Here's what's going on financially. There's absolutely nothing that the word of God doesn't touch in my life. Whether it's my pride, my ego, how I work, my finances, what I do with my time, what I call entertainment, my marriage, your singleness, your children, everything is covered in this book. And this book gives me a lamp to what I'm currently struggling with what's going on. Chris, here's your answer. This is life from the creator of life. This is how you get the most out of life. But Chris, I'm not just leaving you in the present. I'm also gonna be a light to your path. I'm showing you where you're going. I'm showing you where the finish line is. I'm showing you what the goal is. I'm showing what significant is. Otherwise, in the darkness, you're gonna be aiming for this and you're gonna call this success and you're gonna get there and turn around and realize this was far from success. See, God says, Chris, I'd love you to leave you alone. I want to be what clarifies everything in your life. Oh, if you have that, that, that coming to Christ moment where you realize this is what I'm about. Oh my gosh, this is who I'm about. This is what I was made for. The clarity that Jesus gives to our life because he is the light of the world. He is the light of life. You see, but light can both attract and repel. Light can bring safety, security, but light also repels. And the number one ways to change crime in a neighborhood is what? Put up lights. 
My house has three motion detectors, one up front, two on the side. Oh, four, one in the back. You get anywhere close to my house, boom, spotlights, little lasers, red dots on you. Okay, maybe not quite that far, but we've got security lights. We've got lights that come into any one of the gates and the lights are going to turn on. Why? It deters crime. It deters people trying to break in, trying to come in. That's what lights do. Man, lights give you a great sense. They attract that security. You come to a light when you go, okay, I feel safe now. But, but light also repels. You ever, let's go back to our younger days, not admit anything, but you ever been when your younger days hanging out with a group, maybe of guys were doing something and someone shines a light over in that direction and you're all like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither, but I've seen movies. Because darkness doesn't like light. In fact, darkness can exist with light. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness in itself, you don't have a beam of darkness, you don't produce darkness. You just make sure there's not light. When we got down in the cenotes and those underground caves, no one turned on darkness. They just got rid of light. And things took on a whole different feel. It's, it's a lot like the police. <laughs> I tell you, have you ever been in a tough situation or feel like, man, I don't know where it's tough, and then the police are on you, like, oh, okay, good. There's someone here that can handle this. There's someone with authority here. Oh, I thank God for all the men and women police officers that give so much of their time for all of our campus, all of our security, to make sure when we gather on the weekend and we can be a huge target, that we're not a soft target. And every time I see them, I just feel like, okay, there's people here that can take care of this. If something goes right now, there's people here that can bring it to an end. I love being in a place where you're not sure what's going on and, and you, have the, you have the presence of law enforcement. Then there's times where I don't care for them much. On the freeway, when you look in your rearview mirror and that guy's pulled right up. I'm like, man, I really like you. Not today. The road I'm on 55 seems way too slow. 65 can be a little slower sometimes, but as long as you're here, you're keeping the peace as long as you're here. But I keep waiting. How far are you going? You're going to turn off somewhere, aren't you? You're not going to be around here all day, are you? Why? Because it comes to my security. When it comes to my peace, my family's protection, I better have those women and men on watch. But when it comes to me trying to get away with something, I really don't want you in my rearview mirror. When it comes to me trying, maybe your tags are out of date. Maybe something on your plate's a little off. Maybe something on your car. Maybe you don't, you know that taillight and you didn't. You're like, mm. See, when it comes to shining light on something that I may be doing wrong, we might not be fans of light. In fact, people love to walk in darkness, don't they? We walk in darkness. Why? Because we're created with a moral code. We were created in the image of God for all of history, for all of anthropology, studying all civilizations. Every single mankind, what men and women have been an innate desire to know what fair play is, to know what decency is, to know what kindness is. We have a moral right. We have a moral ought that's innate to us as human beings because we're made in the image of God. He can't explain that coming from a vast explosion of nothingness. But somewhere there's a moral right. Somewhere there's a kindness. Somewhere there's a right because we know what wrong is. And we have that pattern imprinted in our heart and our lives. But we've also been given free will. So even though I know what may be the right to do, I still like to choose wrong or I get to choose wrong. And I want to be my own God. And then I can have guilt and shame. And guilt and shame doesn't like light on it. Guilt and shame love darkness. That's where they fester. 
See, sin is fun for a season. If sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Sin is fun. And I don't want to let go of the areas of my life where there's sin. I don't want to let go of my free will. I don't want to tap out and surrender, even if it is to God. And so sometimes people love to walk in darkness. This is what John 1 talked about. It's what John 3 talked about. When Jesus says, the light have come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. You still want to walk in darkness. You want to have your own way. You don't want someone to be Lord over you. We all want a savior. We all love the idea of dying and go to heaven. I've never heard of anybody go, I'd like to die and go to hell. No, that's ridiculous. We all want a savior. We just don't want a Lord. We all want a savior for the end of our life. I just don't want someone to surrender to until I get there. And because of that, there's a reason we keep this truth away from us. There's a reason the religious leaders kept this truth at bay. If you are the son of God, that would change greatly how we do things. And we kind of like how we're doing things. Have Have you been there? And this is where Jesus stands up and says, for good or bad, for those that want to deny me or those that want to accept me, I am your life. I am what brings perception to everything around you. And he goes, now let me tell you when the light changes everything. And it's not the light. He goes, when I'm lifted up. So write it down this way. The cross changes everything. I love the words of Jesus. I know where I have come from and I know where I'm going. So my words are valid. Oh, people, when we understand who Christ is in our life, you and I can say the same thing. Hey, I know where I've come from, but I know where I'm going. You don't have to use my father card against me. I know my past. You don't have to use my scandal against me. I know who I was. You don't have to use 89 to 92 against me. I know how I lived. You don't have to bring up her name or that situation. I know where I've come from, but I know where I'm going. He goes, you see, that happens when I am lifted up. That happens when the cross happens, Jesus says. See, the cross changed our past from guilt to grace. It changed our past from guilt to grace. This is why in verse 27, when they didn't understand what he was telling them about his father, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own, but I speak only what the father has taught me. When you see the cross, Jesus says, you're gonna understand everything I'm telling you about. (laughs) It's gonna change my past from guilt and what I did to just grace. Any situation, any circumstance you want to bring up, I'll take it and go, yeah, you're so right. In fact, I could probably tell you a lot more that you don't know. But let me tell you about grace. That's who Chris was. Let me tell you who Chris gets to be today. You see, the cross changes our past, but it also changes our present. It changed our identity from sinner to saint. From sinner to saint. North Coast, we got we to gotta get done with this saying where I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I'm just a sinner that God loves. No, you're a liar or you're not a Christian. God does not see you as a sinner. God does not see me as a sinner. I still see myself that way, but he goes, Chris, you're a saint. I see you as cleansed. The cross took care of that. The cross forgave that. It separated as far as from the east is from the west. God goes, I don't remember that anymore. I don't see 89 to 92 as sin. I see you as bought, paid for. The cross did that. The cross changed everything. You are now a saint. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You are son or daughter. He refuses to even call you slave or servant. We gotta own that. We get to walk in that. The cross did that. The cross gives me my value my worth. The cross lets me know my importance to God. 
And this is what I love when they came after Jesus. We know your past. And he goes, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. Well, who do you think you are? I tell you who I am. I'm the very son of God. And there's nothing you can do to destroy that witness because I know who I am and I know who God is. And this is what you and I get to walk in today. You see, that cross was such a game changer. It changed our future from death to life. Twice, he loved the crowd enough to tell them, if you don't accept me, you will die in your sin. And if you die with sin, you cannot go where I'm going. Heaven is a sinless place. No sinners allowed in heaven. That's why when you and I keep saying, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you better hope not because no sinners will be in heaven. No, I'm a saint who used to call himself a sinner. I'm a saint by grace and grace alone. I'm a saint because of God's mercy. I am a son. I'm a prince in the kingdom of God. I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. I know who I am today because I simply know who my father is. And now it's not just changed my destiny here on earth. It's changed my destination. And Jesus lets the crowd know, do you get me? Do you get me? Do you get me? I cannot be this. I cannot be teacher. I cannot be philosopher. I cannot be wise guy. I cannot be great example. I cannot be prophet. I am God. I am God. That's not knowledge you need to have one day in case heaven and hell are real. He said, that's an ownership today. The cross changes everything. It forgave you. It cleansed the deck. It changed your identity. It changed your destiny. And because we're forgiven, five chapters from now, we'll see his spirit can now be in us and work through us. He goes, this is who you are. Because I am the light that will cause you to see everything around you differently. That will cause you to go, this is why this is here. And this is why I was made this way. And this is what I'm supposed to do with this struggle. And this is how I handle him. And this is how I deal with her. And this is how I show up to work. Oh my gosh. We have this little saying. Oh, the light just went on. We have that saying. Oh my gosh. The light just went on. We have that little emoji. If someone that has an idea or someone that gets it, boom, we have a little light bulb that pops over their head. And Jesus goes, that's what happens when you get me. You're going to see everything in your life differently because you're going to realize it's not your life. You're going to see your life now as his and it's his kingdom, not yours. And you're going to find a purpose and a significance that you would have never found in your own darkness. Making your way without eyes because we're just fumbling and feeling around for what's right and what's wrong. And then the most amazing thing is in Matthew 5, he goes, now you my followers are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. Can't be hidden. It's like anyone that does find a light in their house, a candle, you put it on the table and it lights up the whole family. You don't put it under a bushel. You don't hide it for no one to see. In the same way, you, North Coast, are gonna serve your city altogether, but you're gonna continue to serve your city on a daily basis. You, North Coast, are gonna find not just to be a consumer in church, but where am I gonna help in church? What children's department needs help for the summer because people are taking vacation? What area can I start serving in? What area in my work and community can I just be a light? Where can I do that? You see, we are now the light of the world. But, but, but let's, let's make this really clear. We just reflect the light of the world. I don't know when you understood it. I've always been a little slow. 
it was either fifth or sixth grade. We had to do the big solar project where we had to make all the planets and we had to write papers on them and we had to put them on a big string and make that little mobile thing, whatever. And I forgot who was doing the moon. I forgot what planet I picked, but the moon presentation, I remember the kid talking about, you know, the moon doesn't have light. The moon is dark. There's no light on the moon. It just reflects the sun. And I remember sitting there going, that's stupid. And then I looked around the class going, what, does everybody else already know this? Am I the last kid to find out the moon doesn't have light? I thought the moon was the little light at night and the sun was the light in the day. I didn't realize the moon didn't have light. The moon just reflects the sun. In fact, even the brightest moon that we get, the full moon, the bright moon, it's still only reflecting about 10 to 12% of the sun. The other times the moon reflects only about 3% of the sunlight. It's a very, very poor reflection of the sun. And yet it does such a phenomenal job at night of giving us light. Man, there are times we're out fishing and there are times we're out at night and the moon is so bright, you don't need a light. You're like, this is incredible. This is what you and I get to do. We are not the light of the world. We reflect the light of the world. You and I get to be Jesus. You and I get to walk with others and go, man, this is how I live and this is who I live for. And when they ask the questions that must come from a life that is reflecting something so different than the darkness around us, we gotta be prepared to have an answer. Well, let me tell you, I'm just a goofball idiot from West Texas who was fumbling around in the dark and, and I met someone. <laughs> I used to think he was just this and this. But I found out who this Jesus was. And I'll tell you, it changed my life. It changed my marriage. Man, don't you come with me and hear for yourself. Because I just get to reflect him. It's his light. He's the source in us that is dying to get to our friends, our neighbors, our family. And he goes, you know my plan for doing it? It's you. Your plan A. There is no plan B. Our homework this week is going to take a deep dive into how do we become that light? How do we show the love of Christ? Our homework this week is going to look at Ephesians 5. Because we now walk in the kingdom of light, let's get rid of the darkness. Let's get rid of the things we run through and try to hide that produces guilt and shame. You know why most of us still try to hold on to darkness? No one in church ever told me how great it was to be in the light. No one gave me an alternative to sin. They just told me not to sin. No one said, you want to know the greatest happiness, joy, peace, contentment is laying in bed knowing I know where I've come from and it's all been done away with. I know where I'm going and it's ridiculously undeserving for me. I know who I get to be with today. And I don't need another witness or truth because I know who my father is. I have value. I have worth. I have importance to the creator of the universe. No one ever showed me the other side of sin. They just told me to give up darkness. And no one ever said, Chris, you're going to love the light. You are going to love walking in the light. Wow, what a story. And many there that day put their faith in him. My friend, is that you? Have you been listening to this and you're coming to a point of, I just, I need to get rid of darkness and I just need to accept him. I understand what he did on the cross to forgive me, to get rid of my sin, my darkness, so he can come in. I want to walk in this light. I need to have new life. If today's that day for you, can you just do this? Can you just say this prayer wherever you're watching this right now, just between you and God? I challenge you to say it out loud. You don't have to. 
Maybe you're with a group of people and you're like, well, they're going to hear me. That's probably why they invited you and have you there. They've said the prayer themselves. Can you just say this prayer? Say, God, thanks for letting me hear this today. You know I've been doing life my way. Today I want to say I'm sorry. I need you. I'm tired of walking in the darkness. I know you died on the cross, so I don't have to die with my sin. You paid the price that I should have paid. I accept that penalty that you took, and I ask you to take my sins and forgive me. I understand you rose again. I know I'm talking to a living God today. May you come into my life and teach me how to walk with you. Teach me how much you love me so I can learn to love myself. And teach me how to reflect you so I can find my purpose in your kingdom. Man, if you said that prayer, you're about to see a little number that, can you just text prayer to the number? Can you just text where the bottom of the screen the number? I don't know what it is. Trent handles all that stuff. I'm clueless. We would love to be praying for you that just said that prayer on this journey. Father, for the rest of us, thank you for such an elementary teaching on light and yet profoundly the impact and amazement it has when we understand that you are gonna be our light, our life. God, may we take this and apply it. May we get rid of whatever darkness we're still trying to hold on to with you. And God, may we reflect you to the people in our life that you love, that you want to go to an eternity with us, with you. In Jesus' name, amen. An amazing message as we look at what it takes to be the light as Christ has been the light to each and every one of us. If you happen to say that prayer with Pastor Chris today at the end of the message, we encourage you, text in the keyword Jesus to 844-921-0220. We would love to be able to send you an email with continued resources so you can continue in your journey of faith. Thank you for joining us today at North Coast Church, and we look forward to having you back next time.